Hello and welcome to this newest edition of the Lakerside Chats. I'm your host as always, Alan Ramich. I'm very excited to bring you today's guest. He is the co-host of the official Lakers podcast. Previously in an overage, the America Lakers podcast, Aaron Lasso. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you for having me, brother. I'm excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you on. So, how about them Lakers? I did not expect to be 41 and 12 going into the All-Star break, but I will take it. That is exactly right. I I think around the team, um, everybody expected the team to be good. Everybody thought the Lakers were going to be good. How good uh, was an open question. My thought before the season was that the Lakers were probably going to be a 3-4 seed somewhere in there and, and win in the low 50s. And it looks like that even I undersold how good this team is. And I think a lot of it has to do with genuinely how close they are. They really enjoy each other. The communication, which you see in a fourth-ranked defense, defense is, is really largely built on communication. So I've been really impressed. And, and if you asked every Lakers fan and every Laker employee and player and coach, et cetera, that uh, if you were going to be 41 and 12 and number one in the West at the All-Star break, every single one of them would take it. No, and for, for those of you who don't know, Aaron travels with the team. So if anyone has a great inside look on how the Lakers are ticking, it's Aaron. So he's talking from absolute first-hand knowledge there. We had the game against Denver last night. Very sloppy at times, but I thought it was a brilliant game to watch. I'm sure you thought the same being there. Um, what was your lasting impression of the game? Obviously, we'll get into like the main players, but what was your main impression coming out from that game? Um, my the, Well, at the end of it afterwards, uh, even, even in Denver... Um, the Kobe chance, you could probably hear it on uh, Trudell does Mike Trudell, my co-host and does the sideline for Spectrum. Uh, he does the walk-off interviews and he was doing it with Anthony Davis, who was lamenting that late miss free throw. But even in the background, there's so many Lakers fans everywhere and even Denver fans uh, and, and fans of home teams around the country at these different arenas. There's still there's the Kobe chance. So that stuck with me. But on the court, the two things really stuck with me. One, uh, the emergence again of you know Dwight and and Alex Caruso how they kind of turned the tide with energy and effort and defense in the second quarter and then AC a lot and, and Dwight but especially AC in the fourth quarter. Um, but in combination with that, the thing that allows that to happen is the flexibility of Coach Frank Vogel. You know the the they have lineups, they have rotations that they go with, but you're seeing now more and more as the Lakers prepare for the playoffs that coach Vogel is willing to adjust to whatever he thinks the situation calls for. He saw in the second quarter, how good uh, Alex Caruso was, saw how good Dwight was started Dwight in the second half in place of JaVale McGee. And then AC was, you know, a little sore in the third quarter. So he, he was going to play some third quarter minutes, but then didn't, but then in the fourth quarter, uh, AC was really good again, and Coach Vogel kind of just rode that out uh, till the end. Danny Green didn't play late. He would normally be in the closing lineups. Uh, but because of how Alex Caruso was rolling, it meant fewer minutes for Danny Green. It meant fewer minutes for Rajon Rondo. So Coach Vogel's flexibility with lineups and kind of rolling with the hot hand, knowing what's working and, and sticking with that in surrounding LeBron and AD really stuck out to me last night. No, I agree. And you know what? It was it seemed like a game where Denver, especially 
in the first quarter and four minutes or so. It seemed like a game Denver were really into, and the Lakers were just going through the emotions a little bit. So I thought, okay, this is just a, a way that, you know, most teams end before the All-Star break, just a very lethargic effort. And then you were there. We talked about it a little before we started recording, but I thought the thing that shifted the game completely was we're about 8.26 on the clock. Monte Morris <laughs> says something to LeBron, and I, the, the, since then, the, LeBron wasn't even on the court, but since that moment... Like, I agree with you that AC and, you know, the guys and AD was fantastic as well, helped a lot. But their flick switched in that moment where the Lakers just went to another gear. And I know it went to overtime, but I never thought the game was in doubt, really. I thought even though it was going to OT, I always had that confidence from the second quarter onwards that we were going to win that game. Yeah, well, look, you had more confidence than I did. There was definitely times where I thought that uh, that Denver kind of, taken grasp of the game uh Denver got a six or eight point lead with with a couple minutes left and the Lakers just got stops down the end uh but yeah look there's a you know at, at least in America I don't I don't know about in the UK there's uh you know some old adages you know you don't tug on Superman's cape or let sleeping dogs lie all of that and um I think that really put a charge into the Lakers when like LeBron is not the guy that you want to be mouthing off to if LeBron is kind of in chill mode, in coast mode, still putting his imprint on every game as he always does. But you don't want a focused, determined, angry LeBron. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you guys over the pond there say let sleeping dogs lie or don't tug on Superman's cape. But uh, Morris clearly did, and it did not go well for the Nuggets immediately following that. No, we do have those adages, and I absolutely agree with you. You don't. And I'm, you know... I'm sure there was, you know, three or four players that were fantastic in your opinion and deserved credit and you mentioned them already. But out of all the players, whether it's LeBron's triple-double, whether it's AD's two threes in overtime after he missed two threes horribly at the end of the fourth, whether it was Dwight bullying Jokic for the entire game or AC, who impressed you the most? Or was it the coaching staff as well making that switch? What was the most impressive part of the win for you yesterday? No, I think it was I think it was Caruso um, and his emergence. I know we're going to talk later about, you know, possible roster additions and, and all of that to kind of shore up some secondary ball handling issues. And I think a little preview to that, but I think maybe that uh, improvement comes internally. And uh, last night there was more of Alex Caruso on the ball in a more traditional backup point guard role. And he was really good. I think 10 points and I think six rebounds and four assists last night. And just the energy that he provides, his intelligence on defense that fits really well into those closing lineups, um, his switchability, but just his, he always finds no matter what it is, he always, how it is, he finds a way to put his imprint on a game positive. Even if he's not scoring, uh, his athleticism and his effort and his intelligence, he always finds a way to make an imprint on a game. So I think for Alex Caruso, uh, for me, Alex Caruso last night was kind of the the player of the game. He was like, I think he was plus 23 in 21 minutes last night. So I, I plus, plus minus can be kind of a wonky stat game to game, um, but I, it gives a picture. And for a game that was as tight as it was, at cl- as close as it was throughout, uh, I, I think the fact that he was a plus 23 in 21 minutes really illustrates how important he was last night. And and we, I talked earlier about the flexibility of Coach Vogel. So 
you know, and, and after the game, Coach Vogel called him my secret weapon. So I, I wonder if we're going to start seeing more and more um, Alex being used as not so much a secret weapon, more as just a kind of a traditional backup point guard. Now, I have con- I have some concerns about him dribbling the ball against, you know, really elite ball pressure that, that you may see. Um, he's not a traditional point guard, but he has shown that he is capable um, at – at backup point guard. And, and so kind of that, that the lineup combinations, that, that push and pull um, and how well uh, Rondo's playing and, and all of that will be interesting to see. But I guess that's just my, my long winded way of saying I was really impressed as usual with Alex Caruso last night. I don't know about you, but with everything that went on with the whole Lakers coaching search and with Ty Lue and Monty Williams, and we, we don't have to get into names specifically, but we got to Frank Vogel in the end. I'm really thankful that we got to Frank Vogel. Um, it seems like he's learned from his experiences in the past, and the NBA has gone away, and, and he's developed as a coach, which is very rare because coaches are usually the most... I'm a coach, so I know myself. Coaches are incredibly stubborn. They don't mm-hmm. really want to change unless they have to. But Frank Vogel... Is playing a more modern style of NBA basketball. I mean, I know it helps that you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but I feel like he's been so vital as well because I feel like he's implemented defensive, you know, the defensive mentality that, that the Lakers have showed. Like, even with a downtick in defense, the last 20-odd so games were still fourth in the NBA in overall defensive rating, which is fantastic. Um, I think the whole coaching staff deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked uh, for for a long time uh, over a bunch of different episodes on on my podcast earlier in the season, how well we were so impressed with the collective brain trust and the collective basketball IQ, not only of obviously LeBron and AD and, and some of the guys in Rajon Rondo, but of the coaching staff with Phil Handy and Coach Vogel and Coach Kidd and Hollins and all up and down the line that the Lakers were dominating teams in the third quarter in the second half. And in in some ways it reminded me of those great Warriors teams of the last few years that they would use the first quarter, two quarters to kind of feel out what the opposition was going to do and then would go in at halftime, make their adjustments. And then because of the collective IQ of those Warriors teams and this Lakers team and the very, and the uh, respective coaching staffs that they would just be able to come out, figure out what you were doing, adjust to it and then use their talent and their scheme and their adjustments to dominate you in the second half of games. It happened over and over through the first part of the season. So I have been really impressed with coach Vogel. Um, He really has the pulse of the team. He knows what buttons to push when psychologically on court stuff. And then obviously Jason Kidd has everyone's respect. Uh, Coach Vogel really has LeBron's respect too from those battles when he was in uh, in Indiana and would would play against those LeBron led teams in the playoffs. They had some battles, so I think the the respect that the that LeBron has for the staff, um, and then the the just general basketball IQ that the staff has, specifically Coach Vogel, has been really impressive. And, and you mentioned it in the question. He has implemented more of a modern style than he played uh, even in Orlando, but especially in Indiana, although he has taken some of those principles there, he has some core beliefs in, in defense and has taken some of those principles and applied it to the Lakers. And 
Uh, shout out to Rob Polinka because Rob Polinka cr- constructed a roster that allows Coach Vogel to do that with all of that size in the middle. Now, the Lakers don't have anybody as big as Roy Hibbert uh, did in those Indiana days, but those Indiana teams would try to pester you on the wings and then funnel everything into Roy Hibbert, who would be vertical always because he was a huge human being. He would just stand up and you know nobody would shoot very well in the paint against those Indiana teams. And the Lakers with the, the size with Dwight and JaVale and Anthony Davis, and then even LeBron and you know, sometimes uh, even Jared Dudley will get his big body in there. So they've been able to implement some of that stuff with with still playing a more modern defense. Oh, and I agree with you 100%. And I don't know what you think about this. Um, what what it seemed to me, especially with the whole Magic Johnson debacle and when he resigned and the instability that seemed to go on during that period, which is, you know which would happen to anyone at any point if your director of basket president of basketball ops sorry um resigned like he did um he had his reasons obviously but i just thought he was the when i watched his opening press conference i don't know if you remember it was the same day that magic went on to first take and had his you're talking about yeah the vogel press introducing yeah. Vogel. Yeah, yeah yeah i was there yeah yeah he just seemed like the grown up in the room that the lakers needed at that particular point which you know it was still to be con- you know to be concluded uh, d- during that press conference, but he just hit all the right notes talking about you know obviously the AD stuff was going on then as well, so he's been very coy and like still talking about the young players as if you know I just thought he was perfect and the transition he's made it just shows that you know you can't judge every coach by every stop he makes like we can see now that being a really good coach in Orlando is really difficult. Um, Steve Clifford, ex-Laker assistant coach, obviously is doing a great job over there, you know, with the talent he has. But, like, with the talent he had in Orlando, and obviously he has adapted, it still goes to show that you shouldn't just... If you've got a track record of being a good head coach, it means that you should be given a bit more leeway. Like, I remember when Frank Vogel got the job, he... People were trying to say that, you know, he's outdated, he's this, he's that. But what he's shown is, like we said, the adaption and, they, like like you said, the, the respect that he has. And I don't know about the entire coaching staff as a whole, but I feel like having three ex-head coaches there who've all been relatively successful just adds an extra layer of credibility to it as well. Yeah, I mean, you you said it perfectly. There is a layer of credibility, and that you know, there was some talk before the season about how that might add a little. It was like kind of another layer of stress, you know. And and where were all of these guys looking? Were they wanting to be head coaches in their own right and all of that? And uh, being around a lot, it it really has, you know, it kind of seems fairy ish about how good the blend of all the personalities has been because. That is something that is often overlooked, but that is very important, whether it's personalities on the coaching staff, personalities on a team, how well all of those personalities fit. Because, look, we're, we're if you're around the team, if you cover the team, if you travel with a team, we often spend more time together than we do during the season, especially with our own families. So the, the, those personalities have all clicked. And, uh, look, Frank Vogel is in charge, but... He's very collaborative. He definitely takes input, a lot of input from his assistant coaches, from Anthony Davis, from LeBron James, um, from Rajon Rondo. So uh, it has really been an exciting blend. It's really been like kind of a, a perfect storm of 
uh, a blend of personalities and opinions and abilities all coming together. And, and you, you said it before, look, coaches are notoriously stubborn um, and they believe in their concepts. But uh, Coach Vogel last year said that, you know, he kind of went around and tried to figure out what he could implement if he ever got another chance because he wanted to coach again, what he would do to modernize his concepts. And, and so he went around to a bunch of different NBA stops, uh, met with a lot of college basketball coaches to kind of make sure that if he got another chance that he was uh, updating and, and he was going to play a modern style, be open to it and be open to doing whatever the talent uh, suggested and whatever best fit the talent. And he is, he has really done that. And you know what? He's he's just a good dude. We've talked about this a lot, but he is he's just a good dude. You know, he after the game, he'll, you know, people like me, I don't matter, but if he sees me around, he'll always make sure to say hi and you know, he'll buy me a beer at a, you know, after a game somewhere or you know, and, and it's not me. He does it over and over with all the guys, with a lot of his video coordinators and lower level assistant guys, you know, the guys that don't get a lot of shine, don't make that much money. He wants to make sure that they feel a part of it. So I've been really impressed with him just overall completely in, in all ways. I think Frank Vogel has been the perfect man for this job. And it, sometimes, you know, you stumble into the right person and, and I'm not saying the Lakers stumbled into it because that he was going to be part of Ty Lue's head coaching staff, allegedly, if Ty Lue joined on, but, the way we got Frank Vogel, it just seemed like everything was written for him to be here as the Lakers head coach. All the things that had to go wrong did go wrong for him to come in. And, you know, I'm really glad those things did fall apart the way they did so he could jump in. Yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. Look, um, you know, it, life is always about choices and decisions. And any one little decision here always has, you know, ripple effects always down the line forever. You never know what decisions in life are, you know, we make thousands of decisions each day and you never know which one is going to lead you where you're going. But, you know, through, through all the confluence of circumstances, however the Lakers chose uh, Frank Vogel and however Frank Vogel was available, it has been, it has been a perfect marriage thus far. Absolutely. Just going into the all-star break now, we're at 40, 41 and 12. First and foremost, how do you feel going into the All-Star break about the team? Obviously, we are realistic. I'm not saying we're the greatest team of all time. Uh, far from it. We obviously have some places where we can improve. But I don't know about you, but there seems to be this negativity about the Lakers in a lot of media's eyes. But I personally, I don't see it. Okay, we've lost a couple of games that we should have won. But that's true of any team, any season that's ever won a championship as well, or has ever been in contention for winning a championship. You know, you can't be perfect constantly. You know, you will have some ups and downs during the season. But I think on the whole, I think uh, we talked about it. We've ex it's just, our expectations have been greatly exceeded so far. Yeah, I, I think you you said it there. There's definitely things, and LeBron and Coach Vogel and Coach Kidd and AD and everybody up and down the roster would tell you. There's lots of things to um, improve on. Anthony Davis said in his walk-off last night in his post-game that uh, what was important to him and what he thought was going to be necessary for the stretch run here was kind of refocus on defense. For uh, for a while, the Lakers had the best defense in the NBA. At the beginning of the year, that has fallen back some. Uh, you mentioned earlier that 
in, in defensive rating, the team is fourth. So I think that is going to be big going forward. Um, but yeah, the Lakers look, the, the Lakers are the darling of the NBA, the, the media darling of the NBA. They're the biggest brand in the NBA. They are probably the biggest brand in North American sports and, you know, worldwide, along with a couple soccer teams, a couple football teams, where you call where you're from, um, the Lakers are one of the biggest brands in the world, the biggest sports brands in the world. So with that is always going to come a little extra scrutiny. Um, it's going to extra coverage. Um, so, yeah, I mean, o- often that lends itself to scrutiny um, and some negativity surrounding the team, whether it's warranted or not, and some nitpicking. But, you know, I, I think everybody, Laker fans, everybody listening to this podcast, People that work there, player. I think everybody should feel really good about where the Lakers stand. Uh, got a nice lead, a non-trivial lead in, in the West. I think it's important to be the number one seed um, because there are kind of seven teams in the West that have separated themselves. And then there's a handful of teams, Memphis and Portland and New Orleans a little bit and San Antonio a little bit that are kind of fighting for that eighth spot. Um, but there are definitely seven teams that have separated themselves. So I think it's important to um, get the number one seed. And I, I think get, getting the number one seed, winning games to get the number one seed, but also kind of tightening up some stuff that, you know, could be some problem areas, whether it's wing, you know, another big wing defender or some secondary ball handling and creation. Um, I think kind of those things and really kind of settling on a roster or excuse me, settling on a rotation, especially a closing lineup, um, I think those are the things that you're kind of looking at for the rest of the regular season. But I anticipate, I did not going into the year, I thought the Lakers would win 51, 53 games somewhere in there and would be like a four seed. Um, and I think at this point, high 50s, maybe even 60 wins and and the one seed are well within the Lakers grasp. And so I've been pleasantly surprised and I would suspect everybody else should too. No, oh, and I wouldn't say I'm... St- pleasantly shocked or anything like that because when you have in my opinion when you have two of the best five players in the nba it helps Mm -hmm. with wins you know on any given night you'll probably have one if not both of the best players on the court at that point so that helps a lot but at the same time like you've mentioned multiple times i feel like the chemistry i've just been around basketball and being such a huge fan of the nba for so long I don't think I've ever seen a team be as together as they are as quickly as these guys are. Usually it takes a while to build this type of chemistry within the team. But obviously you're around it a lot more. This seemed like almost instantly everyone just loved each other on this team. Yeah, so I... um, Now this is my third season with the Lakers. And um, in another life, I worked for the Portland Trailblazers for eight or nine years. So if you take those 11, 12 years I've been in the NBA, I honestly have never seen a team like this. I've never seen a team this close. I've never seen a team that enjoys each other as much as these Lakers do. Um, And it's been such a great thing for them to be able to lean on after the Kobe tragedy, but they just enjoy each other. They have fun. And and there's always, you know, in, in sports in general, there's always a question of how much chemistry matters. And my response to that is, it doesn't hurt. It never hurts. And I think in this case, in this season specifically, 
it really has led to the Lakers winning more games just because of how much they like each other, how they know they can depend on each other, how that communication from, you know, their times off the court bleeds over into the time on the court because they, they trust each other. They know each other. They like each other. And look, you can, you can win if you don't like each other, right? Like it, it didn't seem like, from the outside, it didn't seem like the Warriors all loved each other, you know, with Durant the last few years. That was intention. But they had the talent and they could just overwhelm teams. And if he and Clay were healthy last year, I think they would have destroyed Toronto in the finals. So you can win without it. But if you have it in those little moments where it's going to be helpful, it's always great to have. And, and I have never seen anything like that. And to be honest, that wasn't the case last year. Last year, traveling around with the Lakers and being around them so much. It just wasn't the case. They didn't have the type of chemistry that they have now. They didn't have the belief in one another. They didn't have the enjoyment of one another. And then, you know, it, there were guys, you know, everybody was kind of liked each other. There was no like real animosity, but it was a lot of guys in different points in their career. This year, there's more of a veteran team. And last year there was kind of pockets of guys that would hang out and, and, be around each other and this year it's literally the entire roster they like travel as a pack they do things all together whether it's going out to dinner uh like in san antonio they just really enjoy being around each other and it shows and in all of my years in the nba i have literally never seen anything like it you you and anthony davis basically said the same thing verbatim (laughs) uh, well he must be right then (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you listened to his interview with Dave McMiniman. I saw. I have not seen the whole thing. I saw some. Uh, I saw some clips of it. Yeah, on on Twitter, um, but I did not see. Uh, I have not watched the whole thirty minute thing yet. Yeah, once you listen oh, to. Okay, it, by the way, don't 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 tell Dave. <laughs> he does a fantastic job as well covering. Yeah, it's, yeah, he's a good dude and uh, he does really good work too. Yeah. But basically, you and AD said exactly the same thing. <laughs> which is you know it's so positive to have and you know like you said you don't need to be best friends to win or you know you don't even need to like each other to win but it helps a lot especially when you get into the dog days of the season which is what usually january february time is exactly what time it is yeah and um obviously with everything that happened as well like you said i feel like it just galvanized the team even more i don't know what you think i'm sure you probably you are, you are much more of an inside track than I do on this, but um, I feel like also we've not seen the entire arsenal of what the Lakers want to put out yet. I feel like there's lineups that Frank Vogel wants to play a lot more, but he's sort of holding back. So as a fan of the NBA and the Lakers, I'm really excited to see where this will go now in the future as well, beyond the All-Star break and into the playoffs as well. Yeah, I think the last you know, whatever, 30 games or so um, is kind of going to be a laboratory. The Lakers have a nice lead in the Western Conference. Um, I think it is likely that the Lakers will be the number one seed. So, you know, look, you have to really push forward. And the stretch coming right out of the break is probably a chance to maybe even, you know, extend that lead. There's some definitely some winnable games coming out of the break. So you got to win enough games to be the number one seed. And you want to go into the playoffs fresh and, and stay healthy and and not injured and all of that. But I think you are right. I think I, I talked about it a little bit earlier. I think the last bit of the season here is going to be kind of a laboratory in figuring out. Because in the playoffs, generally, and the Lakers are, are, are a pretty deep team. But um, 
in the playoffs, you're generally only going to play, you know, maybe in the earlier rounds, you'll play 10 guys, but really as you get into the Western conference finals, hopefully in the finals, hopefully you're really generally going to play eight or nine guys. So kind of settling on a rotation and settling on a closing lineup, which because the roster has so many options, you can always adjust for matchups if there's problems or for foul trouble or whatever. But I think settling on, you know, a nine man rotation that you're going to use in the playoffs is going to be kind of is for me is really the, the, the main purpose of this last stretch of the season. And, you know, for me personally, I would like to see Alex Caruso play a little bit more. Um, I thought the Houston game at home um, right after the trade deadline on, on the Thursday of the trade deadline here in the States, um, I thought the Lakers made a mistake by adjusting to the Rockets. You know, the Rockets are small um, and the Lakers only played Dwight and JaVale combined 20 minutes. I think that was a mistake because I think you want to make the small team adjust to you. If you adjust to the small team, their small guys are generally better than your small guys. That's why they play small all the time. So, um, you know, things, things like that. Um, how much are Dwight and uh, JaVale going to play if Houston is ever an opponent in the playoffs? How do you face that kind of what do you think about? Well, if you ever play Utah and uh, what are you going to do with Gobert? You know, all these kind of things and settling on a playoff rotation, I think, are, are really important. As I said, I think Alex Caruso should play a little more. I would like to see uh, him play well last night. Kuz didn't play well last night, but I think the Lakers best five man lineup is um, KCP, Danny Green, Kuz, LeBron and AD. So how much is AD going to going to be playing center down the stretch and then into the playoffs? Um, so how much that lineup has only played? I think I, I didn't look last night, but before last night, that lineup had only played 42 minutes together. So um, I would like to see more of that lineup. Of course, you know, if you need a different defensive presence, maybe you can bring Alex Caruso in for KCP. Uh, KCP's shot the ball really well this year. So, you know, kind of mixing and matching that. So, but those kind of things, kind of settling on what a playoff rotation is going to look like, I think is, is the most important thing. But you, you're right that there's so many different combinations and so many different ways that Frank Vogel can deploy the roster. That it's going to be fascinating to see for, for basketball fans. No, and it like it's exciting that we can finally talk about relevant basketball again. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. usually at this point, last year notwithstanding, because we were twenty eight and twenty nine by the all time by the all star break, if I remember correctly, or yeah, near enough there, um, we were still sort of in the playoff hunt, but not really. But the previous five years before that. We were very much out of the playoff hunt by this point. Right. It's just all about seeing the young guys play well. So it's nice that we can talk like this about a potential finals team. Yeah, I think, uh, let me see if my, I think I've, I've blacked out some of this from my memory purposefully. But um, <laughs> uh, so right before the break, uh, it was, we were in Indiana and got beat by 40 something. And then went to Boston. Rondo and, scored the game yeah, winner. Rondo, Rondo had the game winner, and that was kind of it. And then uh, the break passed, and I think it was the last game before the All-Star break. I think it was a Tuesday game in um, in Atlanta, and just the, the Lakers just didn't have it. Lost last, Lost that game to Atlanta, and that's when 
a bunch of us kind of started looking around, not on the team, but a bunch of us that covered the team and around the team kind of looked at each other and said, this isn't good. You know, I don't, I don't it, that, that kind of felt like the playoffs were starting to slip away. And then for me, the loss in, uh, in Phoenix was kind of the nail in the coffin where, when it was done, but it is, it is so much fun to be around this team. As I said, they, how much they like each other and how, you know, they're just fun guys. They're good human beings and enjoyable to be around. And it's a lot more fun going to work when, when the team is this good. Did you ever think you'd be saying Dwight Howard, Los Angeles legend? <laughs> uh, no, uh, no, but uh, he did. He looked good in his workout uh, before the season and he was saying all the right things. LeBron and AD and Rondo met with him and he was telling, he said, you know, they told me that he said great things to them. He said all the right things to them. So it made sense, especially after Boogie had the injury, it made sense to bring him in um, because he had been good. Even at his last few stops, he hadn't played much. He'd had the, the, uh, the injuries last year, only played like nine games, but he was good in the games he played. He'd been good the last few years previous to that. Statistically, he had been good. He just, you know, had trouble getting along with guys. I don't even know if that's fair because Dwight, even going back to my time in Portland, he is one of the best dudes around. Um, but, you know, there's some personality conflicts and quirks and all of that that had caused problems in previous stops, and there just hasn't been any of that. And so that's been one of the great stories of the season is – you know, how he went from somebody that Lakers fans were not real happy with, to put it mildly, and now he gets, you know, chance at Staples Center, and, and he's one of, he's a fan favorite. So, no, I did not expect that transformation, but look, we're, human beings are complicated people, and there's always room for growth and development, and it's been really good. He has been a model citizen, and he's one of the guys that everybody loves. And it's also really fun to, to see him at, at home games. Uh, I sit across from the Laker bench and uh so Dwight is always interacting with kids before the game and um messing around with with fans and during warm-ups and and introductions and all of that and so it, it's re really been fun to see and, and enjoyable to watch oh and it, it, it like you said it's a joy to watch him because you can tell how much it means to him playing mm -hmm. you, you know and even though, like, there was this, you know, this animosity towards him, it, that that dissipated within like three games. It was amazing to see. It just went from people booing him first game to people cheering for him in that Utah game. It was a crazy, it was a crazy turnaround. But I'm really happy for him. Really, yeah. Happy for him. You know, you know what? Let's uh, just quickly on that. I I always thought that the this is overstating it, but like the Dwight hate from Laker fans from you know back to 2012 was not fair um yeah. Dwight Dwight was good here with the Lakers he led the led the NBA in rebounding I think he was like averaging 19 and 13 something like that he led the NBA in rebounding he was a good basketball player now all of the expectations I, I think Dwight had to carry the weight obviously Dwight was was injured down the stretch um but I think Dwight had to carry the weight of all of the expectations for that team, you know, obviously Nash was there also. And so I think Dwight became the poster child for kind of um, unfulfilled expectations. So I always thought that that was kind of unfair 
to begin with. So I'm really happy for him and happy for Lakers fans that they've had this kind of uh, this cathartic moment where everybody gets over all of that and can really just enjoy the goofy, fun, kind hearted person that he is. And he's played, look, he's played damn well too. And if it wasn't for the center by committee, which I love, by the way, I'm not saying anything bad about it. He'd probably be averaging 30 minutes a game and would probably be averaging stats a lot bigger than what he is. But again, testament to how good the team's been. You've not heard a peep about any discontent from any of the players about the minutes they're playing or, you know, whether they should be playing more or less. And we keep so going back to the thing about how much everyone likes each other and how much everyone wants each other to succeed. And for me, that's been the biggest development of this season. It's just been like, like you said, and like I've said plenty of times so far, is just how enjoyable it is to watch these guys. Yeah, uh, look, I'm incredibly lucky. I get to watch them at home and on the road. Um, I'm incredibly lucky, but this is the most fun that I have had uh, around a basketball team and watching basketball and covering basketball and talking about basketball. It's the most fun. Obviously, the winning, the winning is matters a lot and helps, but these guys, it's just like a fun group of human beings, and it's on the road after games around the hotel and on the plane and buses and all of that. It's just a fun group of guys to be around. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's a fun group of coaches to be around and, you know, the broadcasters and, and, you know, Stu and Michael Thompson, who is one of the best people on planet earth. And yeah, he is, oh, he's incredible. The best uh, Twitter account you can follow ever. Yes. <laughs> yes. He just, yes. He like, he, he types as he talks and, uh, he is, uh, he's incredible. And, and Ireland and Billy Mack and Stu and everybody and all, you know, the crew and the people that, that travel with us that nobody knows who they are. It's just such a fun group to be around. And the basketball is really exciting. Obviously, it's not, not hard watching LeBron James and Anthony Davis every day. So um, it really has been incredibly enjoyable from a human perspective, but also from a basketball perspective. No oh, and Obviously, that we're not saying that the team's perfect. There is ways that you know that we can get better. Um, we, you've mentioned it that maybe a bigger defensive wing would help a lot, or a secondary playmaker. Obviously, we can't get into like super specifics or you know stuff like that. But is there anyone on the free agent market that you would potentially be willing to consider at this point in time for yeah. any either of those two? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, everybody's seen those reports about, you know, J.R. Smith and maybe Deion Waiters coming in for, for workouts. Um, to my knowledge, that hasn't happened yet. So I haven't seen or heard, you know, what, what they have looked like. Um, but I am kind of, look, would a defensive wing, a big wing, a defensive wing help? Sure, but you know, there are 29 other NBA teams that want more big defensive wings. So those guys are tough to find on the buyout market, free agent market. Those guys are tough to trade for, even though the trade deadline is passed, et cetera. Those guys are just tough to get. Um, so, you know, there are some names out there, r- rumored buyouts that I can't really talk about until they become free agents. But, you know, they could be helpful. But of the guys on the free agent market, um, the two guys I mentioned, um, I personally am always a fan just personally i'm not advocating specifically for the lakers or anything but i have always been a fan of jamal crawford he's one of the best dudes i've ever been around in the nba he's one of my favorite people in the nba so whether it's the lakers or wherever i think jamal crawford belongs in the nba so um 
that's another name that is out there. Um, but I, my my suspicion, at least at the landscape as it stands right now, my suspicion is some of that improvement in those areas is just going to have to come internally. I mentioned earlier about Alex Caruso possibly becoming less of a secret weapon specifically and maybe taking on more um, secondary ball handling roles, you know, as, as a backup point guard. But I, I really think that in the playoffs, where that improvement comes from is just with with lineups and with minutes. You know, LeBron is going to play more minutes in the playoffs. So the need for secondary playmaking and a secondary ball handler when LeBron is not on the floor, you're still going to need it, but that need is going to be minimized some because LeBron is going to be playing four, five, six more minutes a night. Um, and when LeBron is on the floor, you want him with the ball and him making all the decisions. So, um, yeah, I mentioned earlier about kind of tweaking the lineups and settling on a rotation. I think that's going to be important. But um, I, I think that Alex Caruso playing backup point guard in the playoffs, hopefully, um, may be, you know, that kind of improvement coming internally. So more minutes from Caruso and, and more minutes from LeBron, I, I think is what, it, and the other, the other part of it is if you do bring somebody in, and this was true of trading for somebody also, but if you do bring one of the free agents in or somebody else gets bought out, that becomes a free agent that, that you want to take a look at, then the question becomes who, you know, the Lakers don't have an open roster spot. So then the question becomes who, is is going to be cut and and as we've said we've talked about throughout this podcast one of the lakers biggest strengths is how much they all like each other and the chemistry so you know you have to take that into consideration too would removing somebody from the roster and adding somebody else even if it's somebody that doesn't play or doesn't play much um how much of that does that affect the chemistry and how how much are you betting on whatever improvement you hopefully get on the court you know, kind of weighing that against the the diminishment of, of chemistry, possibly. So there, there's kind of a lot of moving parts here. No, and I agree with you. And, and another aspect that I would look at, especially with the big wing defender is, I don't know if you noticed it, but I think Anthony Davis is a fantastic perimeter defender throughout how big he is as well. For mm -hmm. a four or five minute stretch on a bigger guy, I think he could do a fantastic job. We saw it a couple of times against the Clippers, actually. Whenever Kawhi was on AD, and I'm not saying AD would stop Kawhi because I don't feel like you can fully stop these superstar players. They will put up their points. It's just how efficient you make them. Mm -hmm. I feel like AD could do a really good job playoff time as well. I know you're around the team a lot more. So you yeah. see stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, AD has been very effective as a perimeter defender. The question, though, becomes in these playoff series is, how much of that can he do? I mean, you know, can he do that? Is he going to do that for 40 minutes um, versus, you know, what kind of lineups you're playing? That's, that is more doable if it's a time with Dwight or with JaVale, because then you have another line of defense. You know, if people get beat, Anthony Davis is one of the best shot blockers in the NBA. So if you were taking him out onto the perimeter to guard Kawhi, or he did incredibly well um, at times and even called for it, for a couple last minute possessions uh, in Dallas and that, that overtime win in Dallas, he said he wanted to guard Luca um, and had LeBron guard Porzingis because if they were going to switch those two, then, you know, they would still have either LeBron or AD on, on Luca. So 
I, I, he's definitely capable of it. I think it's just a balancing act of how much you want him doing it, how much it takes off of his body, how much that uh, takes away from his energy offensively, and then also how much does it take away from his shot blocking? Can you have? Do you want to do that only when you have either Dwight or JaVale in? Because then you have another layer of shot blocking in case he gets beat off the dribble or somebody else gets beat off the dribble. Um, so I, I think it's a balancing act for for lots of things. But Anthony Davis is definitely capable, at least for stretches, of guarding some of the best wing players in the NBA. Definitely. And I don't know about you, but this has just made me really excited to watch the Lakers and now I've got to wait another week to watch you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is, uh, yes, a week and, and uh, what, eight days. Uh, eight days, yeah. Today as we record this is uh, it's Thursday here on the West Coast. It's Thursday here in L.A., Thursday morning. So the next game is Friday night uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies. Back which, will be a, which will be a very fun game. It will I, be- how do you think Dwight's going to do in the dunk contest? Um, uh, that's how I feel about it too. <laughs> he's not what he was athletically. Yeah, However, I feel like he'll get the crowd involved. I feel like he'll come up with something memorable, if nothing else. I don't think he'll win, though. I I agree with everything you just said. I think it'll be fun to see him. Um, I think he'll be very creative. I haven't. I actually haven't asked him. I don't know if he would tell me, but I haven't asked him uh, what he was going to do. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he'll come up with something creative. It's just hard for, for bigger guys. It's hard for 6'10 guys, 6'11 guys. Um, it looks too easy for them. So that can be, it can be hard for them to, uh, to be successful sometimes. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be, it'll be fun to see him out there. I'm looking forward to seeing how the new um, – I know we haven't touched on the All-Star you know, break a lot. Um, but I'm very looking forward to seeing the new format in the game just to see how it goes. The only thing I have a gripe with, and it's not really a gripe because I know they're honoring Kobe with that 24 points, but I do think that in an all-star game type, you know, setting that 24 points is a just a little too small a points, you know, target to get for the winning team. I feel like that could take, it could be like two or three minutes in an all-star game with a yeah. defense that's played. Yep. Yeah, you I know, agree. That's the only thing, but I do understand why they did it though. Yeah, I do too. I, um, I I understand why they did it, and you know, obviously the jerseys. Um, team LeBron's going to wear number two, and, and Team Giannis is going to wear twenty four. So, um, I, I, all of the tributes around the league have been really moving, and I understand why they're doing it. But I I agree that um, even though in the fourth quarter, uh, all star an all star game, a lot better defense is played than the first three quarters. But yeah, still. Uh, it's probably not going to take more than four or five minutes. Exactly. And and even though people don't really like the All-Star game and, you know, they want reasons for it to be shortened and whatnot, I always really enjoy it just because of the spectacle and you're basically essentially the 20, 25 best players in the NBA on the same court at the same time. You know? Absolutely. So it's always a fantastic thing to see, if nothing else, you know. And... Oh, there's like little subplots as well. Like I don't know if you remember when it was KD and Westbrook on the same team when when KD left, you know, Oklahoma yeah. City, and yeah. that was fascinating to watch as well. I think was that I think that was the year. Um, yeah, I think I think the first year of the draft, uh, it was really close, 
I think Steph was a captain and and um, and LeBron was the captain of, of the East. And there was uh, like the last there was it, it came down to the last second. It was a really close game. And Steph's team had the ball and Steph got the ball and got trapped, got double teamed in the uh, at the sidelines by LeBron and Kevin Durant. And it was just like, yeah, you know, forget it. I, like <laughs> Nobody is good. LeBron and, and Kevin Durant trap. You just forget it. Exactly. It's just over for you. It doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah, I, I, like you can be Steph Curry, who, you know, whatever. Has at times in his career, in my opinion, been the best player on planet Earth. But like you're getting trapped by LeBron and Kevin Durant. Just like forget, just go home. Like forget it. It's <laughs> just to wrap things up, uh, it's a recurring segment I'm doing now with every guest, you know, in honor of the great Kobe Bryant. Everyone has their favorite memory of Kobe, whether that be in-game or however, you know. I just want to ask you your favorite moment about Kobe and why, and just, you know, to get into it a little bit. Um, I have a couple. Obviously, the one of them is his, his, his last game, um, the 60-point game, just because of the joy that he play, he seemed to play with and how much he was enjoying the moment and recognizing the moment. And um, Kobe was a guy that it often, at least from the outside for a lot of people, appeared like he did not play. You know, we just talked about Steph, right? Steph looks like he's playing basketball with joy and the Warriors talk about playing with joy. And it seemed like Kobe was so singularly focused and was so competitive and at times obsessive about basketball and getting better at basketball that it never seemed like often like Michael Jordan was, was kind of similar. Um, it seemed like Kobe didn't play with a lot of joy or didn't necessarily feel joy while he was playing. Obviously he loved the game and it was his safe space and all of that. But in, in that 60 point game in his final game, that really it, it felt to me it looked to me like he was just having so much fun and was smiling and winking at his family and, and all of that so that will always stick with me um when he tore his achilles um against the warriors he asked harrison barnes um who got called for the foul on the play when kobe went down he asked harrison if harrison had kicked him and, and barnes said no no what do you mean no and so kind of Kobe knew that his Achilles was torn and in all of those moments where he's processing, you know, my, is my season done? I'm trying to carry the Lakers to the playoffs. Is my season done? You know, who knows? Oh yes. Um, probably, you know, what is this going to mean for my career? He still went and made those two free throws. And, and my favorite part of that is he didn't do that as, an inspirational story. It is very inspirational. Him going and making those free throws is very inspirational. But even in that moment where he is considering um, what it means for him, for his season, for his career and all of that, he still said, I'm going to go shoot these two free throws. Not to inspire. It is inspiring, but not specifically to do that because he was still thinking he was still in the moment and he was still thinking about the game. And if, you know, as, as you know, and your listeners know, if somebody gets injured and can't shoot their free throws, then the opposition gets to pick anybody from the bench to go shoot those free throws. And it was a close game in a game that the Lakers really needed to win to you know, try to make the playoffs. And so he went and made the two free throws. 
because in that moment, that is what his team needed for him to for them to win a basketball game. He didn't want the Warriors to get to pick whoever to go shoot those free throws. So that always has stuck with me. And then in his post game after that game, when he knew you how bad the injury was and he knew what it meant, he could see that his season was done. And he was having a hard time, but within moments, he A, said, I'm going to kill this rehab because I want my daughters to be able to see that it didn't get the best of me. So I'm in a rehab, so they have something. It's not just daddy says he can do all this stuff, but he wanted to show them the work and what he was willing to do. And then, um, yeah, I mean, so that that was really impressive to me. And then him... I think it was John Ireland that he was he was looking at. He could already he was already telling people that they were going to say, uh, you know, Kobe's too old and the Achilles it's done. I think he was thirty five. Um, that you know his career's over. He's done. He'll never be the same again. And so he was creating uh, this narrative that nobody had even said yet. But he was already hearing in his head people writing him off. And so he already was using it. it, was already pissing him off. He was already getting mad about it. He was already using that as fuel to create enemies, right? To create an adversary to work against. Like you guys are, you guys are, I can already hear you guys saying that, oh, this is it. So that is another thing that was driving him throughout his rehab. And he had already figured out how to create those adversaries, how to cr- make his rehab competitive to, to really do it. So those are a few of the, the I think that kind of encapsulate Kobe and really stuck out to me. And I don't know if you read Gary Vitti's, um story yes. about just the fact that he didn't want to go out in a wheelchair as an FU one last time to Paul Pierce and the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Firstly, inca- perfectly encapsulated Kobe the man, but it also perfectly encapsulated how much of a Laker this guy was. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. I I understand that there's that like, you know, that heart of a champion thing. There's that like, whatever it is that that drives us in whatever we do. I, you know, was a a very mediocre basketball player once. And I believe that, and I had nine knee surgeries and two back surgeries and an ankle surgery. And, you know, and I believed because that's what those guys do. Kobe and I are, are very similar in age, but like, that's what we saw growing up. You know, like, you, I saw that from Kobe, even though he, we're similar age, but from Jordan and all that. Like, and I have this belief that if I walk on the court, I'm walking off the court. I don't care what it's going to take after that, but I walked on, I'm walking off. And and that comes from those kind of guys. So it's uh, yeah, it's also a nice little fu to to Paul Pierce and the Celtics too, which was which was pretty funny. But I, that mentality, I think, is encapsulates Kobe so well. No, and I agree and. I feel like that's a perfect way to end the podcast. Aaron, I want to thank you so much for coming on, sir. As I told you before the podcast started, you were one of the four or five people that got me into podcasting in the first place. So this was a huge episode for me. And I can't I already can't wait to have you on again in the near future. If you could just tell my listeners and anyone else, you know, what if they come across the podcast, where to find your work, where to follow you, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And, and it is, uh, it is an honor to be on the show and, and thank you for those kind words. Um, but if you're, 
if I'm the reason you started podcasting, I, you may want to consider reconsider some things. But uh, <laughs> uh, you can you can uh, the show is called the Official Lakers Podcast. Um, it's uh, myself and Mike Trudell host the show, and um, we travel around with the Lakers, and we're we're pretty embedded with the team. So it, it's the official one of the team. That's why it has such a creative title. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can find it on. Apple Podcasts, you can find it on Google Podcasts, you can find it on Lakers.com, PodcastOne.com, Podcast One app. You can follow it on Spotify now. So pretty much, um, pretty much everywhere. And then um, my Instagram and my Twitter are both at Aaron Larsoul, two A's. So it's A A R O N L A R S U E L. And uh, I like to, you know. Get a little content specifically you can't get otherwise sometimes you'll see me tweeting the, the menu from the plane or pre-game stuff or me and michael thompson drinking wine on a flight home or something so that is where to find everything and and um congratulations on 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 this show you're, you're doing really well i'm really proud of you and and thank you so much for having me on thank you and like i said i am definitely having you on again in the near future this has been a blast you know, I've really enjoyed talking about the Lakers with you. Hey, it's my my pleasure. You know how to find me. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you to everyone who listened to this podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can find me everywhere as well. Um, thanks for listening. Have a great day slash evening.